This morning, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there. Uh, Joshua chapter 7. Growing up, I remember playing a game with my mom. She would go into a room and hide an object, and that object could have been anything. Uh, as a kid, you would then enter the room, and she would tell you whether you were hot or cold. And as you got closer and closer to the item, you got warmer and warmer. If you were in a group of people, you obviously would listen to where other people were at and try to cut in front of them so that you could find that item. That was one of the, the keys to winning. Those who were better at listening and applying found the object first. Those who were like me just simply never won the game. We just loved playing. As a kid and, and even as an adult, there's something, though, that's different when you hide the object. Right? Everybody wants to be the one who hides the object. Even in hide and seek, right? Nobody wants to be the seeker. Everybody wants to be hidden. I kind of wonder if this is something that's wound up in our nature, inside of who we are, right? As Proverbs says, bread eaten in secret is sweet. As humans, we tend to love secret things. The control, the security, the idea that we have this and nobody else does. In our text this morning, we will be in Joshua chapter 7, and this is not an easy text. It's kind of like, hey, let's have a, a guest preacher come in and hear about Achan, right? <laughs> well, welcome. Here I am. Uh, it, it is a heavy text. It is not a feel-good scripture passage. We will be dealing with some heavy, heavy things. And the big idea, the big idea of the text is this. Unfaithfulness brings disaster to God's people. I would encourage you to write that down. And unfaithfulness brings disaster to the people of God. And as we go through the text this morning, I would encourage you to ask yourself this question. What am I currently hiding from God and from his people? What am I currently trying to hide from God and from his people? Our text is broken down into three portions. Uh, look at verses 1 through 9 with me. Verses 1 through 9, a covenant broken. A covenant broken. I'm going to pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up. But let two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them at the, at the descent. 
and the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth, and on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Then Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give up, to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? All right, so we're kind of coming in into the middle of a story here. Thus far in Joshua, Israel has been saved from their wandering. They have gone through the process that God had commanded them of, of consecrating themselves, of making themselves holy, of crossing into the land of Canaan, through a, the miraculous splitting of the Jordan River. And Jericho, the mighty city of Jericho, had fallen. They were at the pinnacle of joy and confidence in God. All was going their way, and nothing could stop them. So, right after Jericho fell, the people of God turned their attention to the next city, the next city in the, in the conquest. And God commanded Jericho and all of its inhabitants to be burned, right? That was the, 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 the uh, first fruit offering to the Lord in the land of Canaan. And God then said, okay, now you must go and conquer the rest of the land. But right here in, in verse 1 of chapter 7, we are told that Israel did not obey the command of God, right? While everything in Jericho was to be burned and destroyed, Israel did not obey. And while all the people were held responsible, it was an individual, Achan, who broke rank and disobeyed what God had commanded. And because of this disobedience, because of one man's disobedience, the entire people of God would suffer. The covenant that God had established with his people was that they were to obey him. Obey his every command. Obey his every word. And they failed to do this on account of one member's hidden sin. As the story unfolds, we see a similar situation as to what happened at Jericho. Israel strategized this attack. They, they, they planned it well. They, they sent spies out. They did their due diligence. And the spies reported back that, hey, this city is much, much smaller. They, we don't need to use our, our whole force to take this city over. You know, only, only a few thousand men. That's all we need. And they attacked, and they were beaten back, much to their surprise. We are told, write the text. Why? God was angry with the people because of the sin of one man. God's people suffered because defeat because one person had hidden sin in their lives. And by concealing his sin, Achan had become like a Canaanite and had hidden the things that had been devoted for destruction 
and the people of Israel became like them as well. There was no difference between the people of Canaan and the people of God. And their hearts melted in fear and they fled. God had entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. A covenant is a personal relationship between two parties. God and the people of Israel had agreed that they would be each other's exclusive relationship. That they would love and care for one another above all else and in spite of all else. The process then of celebration and cleansing that had taken place in the previous chapters of Joshua, we're reiterating that, we're re-upping that covenant. Crossing the Jordan, circumcision, celebration of Passover, we're all part of the process of renewing the covenant that God had with his people. God had set his people apart. They were to be different. Their old way of life was behind them. What was in Egypt was to be in Egypt. What was done, what wandering was to stay there. No, this is new. Faithfulness to the covenant demonstrated that they believed God's promises would be fulfilled. Let me say that again. Faithfulness to the covenant of God demonstrated that they believed God's promises would be fulfilled. Sin, then, at its core, is a distrust in the faithfulness of God. This is what sin is. It, it does not believe that what God says is true and will be true is actually true. It puts us in opposition to him because we believe that we know better and that we can better care for ourselves. And so, it can stole. We know what is best and we act accordingly. All the way back, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve determined that they knew better than God, and sinned by breaking faith in the goodness of God. They were convinced that they knew better, that, that they could better care for themselves, that God was surely missing something in Genesis chapter 3. And this covenant of works with Adam was broken, and God punished them, and all who would come after them by bringing death into the world. That is the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is death. The sin of Achan. One single person in verse 1 caused the collective people of God to be punished. In a sense, the people of Israel were united with Achan in his sin. And instead of the items being burned, it was God's anger that was fiery towards his people. Joshua and the elders of Israel, the response, they wept. They wept. They lamented that this would take place. Look at what they said to God. It's actually kind of accusatory. They blamed God for this misfortune. Joshua is accusing God of breaking the covenant. Why would you do this to us? Surely we did not do this. Here the language is used multiple times in the Old Testament, and God, or in Joshua, laments God's unfaithfulness. 
This is the undoing of faith that we saw that it can be seen so strong in, in chapter 6, right after Jericho falls, right? The pinnacle of victory, God is faithful, and then all of a sudden God's unfaithful. How could he do this? Joshua is questioning the very reality of who God is. And instead of looking at himself or at the people, he presumed that it must be God's fault. Surely this isn't us. This, this has to be God's fault. Now, as the reader of the text, we, we clearly know who, what's taking place here. It isn't God's fault. We have a behind-the-scenes view that, is, that was the sin that caused the break. Joshua did not have this. I mean, he operated much as we do in our human perspective. How easy is it really to doubt God's faithfulness? If you're anything like me, it's very easy. It is very easy to doubt God's faithfulness. To call his character into question. I can be reminded of his provision, his faithfulness on a Sunday morning. Focused on the salvation that I have with other Christians, and by Monday and Tuesday, I'm full of fear and worry or anger and bitterness. It is so easy to forget the faithfulness of God. We go through our weeks forgetting that we are commanded to rest in him. We, we can quickly forget that he has provided time and time again and somehow feel that we need to provide for ourselves. We easily doubt the covenant faithfulness of God. What, what does this look like in your life? How are you attempting to provide for yourself by, by doubting God's good promises? Are you accusing him? Are you fearful and anxious, worried about the future? Worried about the past? Maybe worried about the present? Often we accuse and question God, convinced that our hardship, our suffering, must be his doing. But God, God is a good God. And while he does allow bad things to happen, he is never far from us. And we must remember that our sin, our brokenness, brings trouble of its own. It very well may be that there's sin in each of our lives, but sometimes trouble and suffering isn't punishment. It's just God drawing us back into a deeper dependence on him. As the reader of this story in Joshua 7, I'm wondering, how does God respond? I mean, God doesn't take accusations lightly. Joshua was very pointed in his accusation and didn't have all the facts. Well, let's look at verses 10 through 21 and see the covenant charges that God brings. <clears throat> the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. 
I will be with you no more, unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Israel was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near clan, the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to his name. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a gold bar weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. God's response to Joshua, get up off the ground. Why, why are you accusing me? The reason Israel can't fight, the reason they lost, is because you guys broke covenant. And here, let me prove it to you. Israel has sin in the camp, and the defeat has come because one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. God takes sin very seriously. So that very night, Joshua begins restoring the people's holiness, their set-apartness. They were now defiled because of their disobedience, and so in verse 15, God commands that the very people that very night consecrate themselves. God gives Joshua the plan, and so the next day, the people are brought before him. They're brought before Joshua, and, and somehow, we're not told, but somehow God revealed to him the tribe, the family, the house, and the very man that had disobeyed. All of this time, as the nation is paraded in front of Joshua, the finger got closer and closer to Achan. He could have stepped forward. He could have confessed. He could have said, guess what, it was me. We don't need to do this. My fault. But he didn't. Uh, one must wonder what would have happened. What, what, we, we know God is a God of grace and mercy. What would have happened? Would it have changed the story? Maybe maybe even for the people who were with him, right? They didn't have to suffer if he would have stepped forward. 
It's a question. It's easy, though, to judge Achan, to wonder how he could be so stubborn or to disassociate ourselves with him. But his reality is yours and mine. It's the reality of sin. I mean, who really wants to confess? Who really wants to drag their sin out into the light for everybody to see? It's much easier to hide it. We will do our best to conceal it until we cannot conceal it anymore. And let me be very, very clear, this is not godliness. Sin should be so distasteful to us that as soon as we recognize it in our life, we confess it and we get rid of it. And now once he is caught, he has nowhere to go. In verse 20, we see the confession of Achan. He confesses his sin. He does not minimize it. He does not lie about it. And he is clear with the details. And the details match reality. He took what amounted to a Louis Vuitton coat, five pounds of silver, and a pound of gold. Right? A cloak from Shinar, which was a designer cloak, and some silver and some gold. This seemingly insignificant amount, right? When you think about the, the, the city of Jericho that had fallen, this was probably not much. Is all that it took for God to notice. God called for perfection. All of the contents of the city were to be burned and destroyed. Sin is not pleasant in the eyes of God, and he takes it seriously. In verse 21, we're given a glimpse of the progression of sin in Achan's life. He saw, in verse 21, we see that he saw, he coveted, he took, and he hid. That's how he describes it playing out in his life. Right? There's some truth in the kid's song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? There's some truth in that. Recognizing the progression of sin is the first step to killing it in our life. Sin starts with seeing, with being dissatisfied with what we have. And then we feel like we take measures, we ought to take measures to provide for ourselves. Right? And doubt the unfaithfulness, or doubt the faithfulness of God. We must take measures to prevent sin in our lives, friends. Sin starts in our hearts with a longing for something better, for something more. We're dissatisfied with what we have and what doubt the faithfulness of God. It doesn't have to be a physical object either. It can be a relationship that we covet. When ours fails to meet that standard, we explode or we shy away and we hide. Maybe it's that we covet the status of notoriety. We don't want to be known as a failure or just love the feeling of power. We see it Hold it, and we don't let it go. Most of the time, especially after we leave that situation, our desires are um, irrational. Right? We can look back and say, yeah, it wasn't actually logical, but boy, I really wanted it in that moment. Take Aiken, for example. 
This man was an established man in the nation of Israel. I mean, he could trace his lineage back to the tribe of Judah, back to Egypt. We see later in this text that he has property and animals. So poverty wasn't his motivation. He actually had stuff. Sin doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's not rational. We might excuse it away. And so, friend, take measures to protect your life from sin. From sins that hamper you day to day. A sin that that you struggle with and cannot seem to remove. Take drastic measures to remove it from your life. To root it out. And ultimately, don't do what Achan did and hide it. But talk about it. Talk about it. Look, ask, look, seek grace from those who are around you. If sin is questioning the faithfulness of God, then one way to combat sin is to foster a heart of gratitude. Sin cannot live in a life that is filled with gratitude to God for what has already been given and for what he has promised. Do you want to choke sin out in your life? Look for gratefulness. Foster gratitude. Thank God for the gifts that he has already given to you. Sin cannot thrive in a heart that sees all the good that God has given and takes joy in that good. Thanking God for his good gifts is life-changing, and those around you will slowly begin to see a light changed by the knowledge that God is the author of all that is good. So no matter what is affecting you, starve your sin by being grateful. God knows all and sees all and cannot be deceived. Achan's sin was done in secret and he hid it from people. And it was Israel who was held responsible. Friend, the one that you're saying, the one that only you know about, God sees it. God knows that sin and judgment for that sin is coming. The question is, is what will you do with this reality? Achan's sin had affected the people who were around him. We see this becomes even more of a reality. That Israel has been defeated and 36 people were just, were, had died because of his sin. So if you are a part of a church, a member of, of even this church, your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects the people of God. If you have a moment... If you have your Bible, turn with uh, me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality uh, among you. And of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, 
and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather be to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens with a lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be in a new lump, as you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. The church in Corinth was tolerating sin, and it wasn't even hidden. It wasn't even hidden. It was the kind of sin that would make the world blush. And it was affecting the entire congregation. Sin in the church, sin among the people of God is serious. And it, it is to be gotten rid of, and it is to be cleansed. It is a breaking of the faith in the God who saves. This really is the point of church discipline. Church discipline tells the world and the church that we take sin seriously. That, that we are different from the world around us and our hope is not in this world and in the passions of the flesh. Sin has no place and ought to have no place inside the church. Back in Joshua... When Achan was finally selected, look at Joshua's response in verse 19. Verse 19 of Joshua 7. My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua was clear to Achan. Your sin being discovered Achan is something to give God praise for. Isn't that curious? Believe it or not, it is a grace and mercy from God to show us our sin. It is a grace and mercy from God to show us our sin. To hide your sin is to hide from the very presence of God. And when God draws near to you, he reveals who you are. And it is gracious of him to show us that. He could just leave us alone. 
But to be ignored by God is not a good thing. This is why fighting sin is an ongoing battle in life. God continually draws near to his people and continually shows us who we are. And we are continually responding in repentance. When our sin is found out, this is the first step in a path to drawing near to God. In fact, one cannot repent and turn from their sin if they don't know what they're turning from. Repentance. Something that we value. The prerequisite is knowing our guilt. So give God praise when he opens your eyes and shows you the depth of your own heart. It is a grace from him and worth thanking him for. But yes, it's, it's no easy thing to come face to face with that reality. But remember, God disciplines those whom he loves. Sin demands that we hide. Sin demands that we give our lives to protect it, to cover it up, and to act as if all is okay. God calls us to reveal it, to pull it out, to destroy it. Achan responded in repentance, but it was a little too little too late. He had had ample opportunity to repent, and as tribes and families were marched in front of Joshua, he could have responded, but he did not. And God holds the leads of his people, the leaders of his people, and the leaders of families accountable to a high degree. Achan was both a prominent figure in Israel and a leader in his home. And his covenant, his breaking of the covenant of, with God, of God would carry with it consequences. Let's look at verses 22 through 26. Covenant consequences. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of the people with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And he brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stood, stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire and stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that valley is called the Valley of Achor. This section begins with a, a sense of urgency. The, the, the messengers ran to the tent. There was no dilly-dallying or delaying. There was an urgent matter to deal with. And sure enough, underneath his tent, just as he said, were the items that Achan had stolen. He confessed to it. But sin brings consequences. Just because repentance took place didn't mean that consequences would go away. God's justice still needed to be met out. The law had been broken. 
Tolerating sin in one's own life brings trouble. And the trouble with sin is it's troubling. It is a personal breaking of the relationship with God. And Achan and his entire family and all of his possessions were burned with fire and piled over with stones. And the valley of Achor, right? The valley, they named the valley Achor, which literally means trouble. This part of the text is difficult for us to understand. It leaves us with questions. Questions on the goodness of God, his grace, and his mercy. I mean, here we have a whole family that suffered a brutal consequence. Some believe and conjecture that Achan's family did know the treasure was stolen. I mean, how could they not? That uprooted the whole tent and put a bunch of stuff under it. Whether they did or they did not know, and so incurred guilt through knowledge or just because they, uh, because of the, the consequence, we don't finally know. But what we do know is that this gruesome end of Achan's family is the reality of sin. Sin brings death. And while we don't operate under this uh, mode of operation anymore in the 21st century, the reality is still the same. Sin is brutal. What is being described and pictured is just that, that sin and the trouble it brings are passed down and, and affect those around us. And the covenant consequences for sin is death. All who come after will suffer the consequences of our own sin. Right? My kids, vicariously, suffered the consequences for my sin. Achan's family was in his house, and it was his whole house that would be punished for his sin. Something that is echoing through our entire text this morning is this idea of household or dwelling. We see this uh, in verses 14, twice in verses 14, and again in 18, 23, and 24. The idea of household. Sin had entered the house of Achan, and through his leadership, they all had stepped outside of the blessing of the covenant. Achan has seen the salvation of God's faithfulness. He watched the walls of Jericho fall, but did not trust God to provide. The story is meant to point us forward, to point us forward to Jesus Christ, who is the salvation for all who are in his house. And this is the good news. This is the glory of the gospel. That he took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. He took the, the gruesome consequence that we deserve on himself. And through him, you and I can have life everlasting. Salvation can be yours if you put your faith and your trust in the work of Jesus Christ and not your own. That we enter into his household, his body, through faith in that work. For those of us who have done this, who have put our faith in the work of Christ, sin still remains. Sin still is a very real problem. And while the ultimate consequence might be done away with, 
we are called to continue to purge it from our lives. Faith in Jesus gives us a new heart. It gives us a, a new life with new passions. And so we can obey. We are no longer slaves to that sin, but are being renewed day by day. And that work is always present and before us. So I would urge you, Christian, as we close, stop hiding your sin. Look to the cross of Christ and let your affections in your heart be warm with his work in your life. The warning from Achan, the warning from Joshua 7, is that there will be far-reaching consequences to sin that remain hidden. One can be part of the people of God. One can see the power of God and have been set apart from the world and still have hidden sin in your life. So be pressing against it. Be combating it. Talk about it. Grow in your thankfulness and continually guard the eyes of your heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. Oh Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And Lord, most of all, we thank you that you have not left us alone. So even now, this morning, may our hearts be warmed to the things of you, to the things of your, to, to your work on the cross. May sin be ever so distasteful to us. Amen.